0: in your spiritual journey. And the way we know best how to do that is to go to the Word of God. That is the source of our joy, the source of the good news that we have. And so I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. It's week after week. Uh, we we're, were actually talking before worship about uh, some of us wanting to get together and, and uh, you know, work on some cooking together, work on some culinary recipes and try some different things and have some fun. And, and, you know i've heard it compared that preaching the word of god is like preparing a meal jesus told his disciples go and feed my sheep and so here at living hope church we want to feed you the word we want to give you the meat we want to give you the potatoes we want to give you the noodles we want to give you the salad we need all parts of the word of god to instruct us to mature us in the faith and make sure that we are as closely connected as fully devoted to jesus as possible and as we approach the christmas time and we're pretty much here. I mean, we've been talking about approaching Christmas time, but it's it's upon us, guys. We're I think we're eight days away. Eight days away from Christmas, because the week from today is Christmas Eve, right? And as we approach Christmas, there's a lot of things that we associate with Christmas and reasons that we're excited. If it's the Christmas lights, the decorations, the trees, the parades, candles, the presents, of course. The stockings hung with care uh, or the Christmas Eve service, which uh, we are very thankful. Actually, we met Cheryl one year ago when we had our Christmas Eve worship at at Lakewood Ranch. And and it's just, again, it's a joy. Every time we gather, um, it is a joy, even on Christmas Eve. But would you be as excited about Christmas if none of those things were a part of Christmas? Because Christmas hadn't happened yet. Would you be as excited to celebrate the birth of a baby boy in fulfillment of God's promises even if there was no tree? There was no presents to be expected. There was no special services, no special parades. In fact, it was the opposite of that. It was dead quiet in the streets of Bethlehem and Jerusalem. No one was prepared for this child, and that's why this morning's Episode in the Christmas story is so powerful. It's an important lesson for all of us. Is it possible to have joy with no external comforts without the trappings of Christmas or what happens once we get past Christmas and we're in the cold of winter without all the lights and the gifts. Can we still have joy and the wise men from Matthew chapter two will show us a true encounter with Jesus will bring joy. It requires faith, but it produces joy. So we're going to read Matthew 2 verses 1 through 12 and see what exactly the wise men, the magi, would instruct us this morning. So I invite you to turn along from your copy of the word with me. I'll read it out loud. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, magi, from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he? Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. (coughs) When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. This is the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel then Herod summoned the wise men secretly this time and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem saying go search diligently for this child and when you have found him bring me word that I too may come and worship him And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What an encounter. There were gifts exchanged. Well, not exchanged. There were gifts given to the Christ child, but this is a bit different than our typical Christmas celebration, isn't it? These events appear to take place about a year or two after the birth of Jesus, which took place in Matthew chapter 1. So you might think, oh, Jesus was just born, and, and he's still in the manger in the stable, and look, the shepherds are here, and the wise men are here. Actually, if you want to have an accurate manger scene, you would have the wise men maybe a little further off in your in your living room or your display because they had not arrived, at least you know, not at the same time as the shepherds. It says that Mary and the Christ child were in a house. So they actually have stability. They have a home. They have a roof over their head. And and the word used for the Christ child is not baby. It would be more what we would call infant, toddler. Okay, so there's about a year, year and a half, maybe two years um, that this child has been born. Also, we're told um, that Herod determined from asking the, the uh, wise men what time the star appeared, that Herod could put together, okay, this child would be two years old or younger based on when this star appeared. They saw the star in the east, and here come these magi all the way across. Now, I do have to dispel a myth for you. I hate to do it, because I know we just have all these, these thoughts from the Christmas movies and the nativity scenes. We don't actually know that there were three wise men. People assume that because there were three gifts given. There could have been a dozen of them. Could have been two. There might have been three. We don't know for sure. Um, So we don't want to assume or put things into the word of God that are not original to the word. But how encouraging is it that our faith and the birth of Christ is grounded in historical reality? Real world stuff. Bethlehem is a real place about five miles south of Jerusalem. I've been there. (laughs) I've been there with my wife. It's an incredible place. Uh, I mean not not the town but it was incredible to come in there and sit on the edge of the hill and overlook the fields where even today shepherds are keeping their flocks to imagine what it would have been like for the angels to come that's Luke 2 that's it's not our story today but actually Bethlehem is still just as much uh you know ordinary little town there's nothing amazing nothing special going on there a lot of trinkets and knickknacks come from that town to to be sold in the streets of Jerusalem but But nothing special. In fact, geographically, Bethlehem is in the West Bank today. So not exactly a a peaceful uh, seaside resort kind of location. And yet these magi come because they want to have an encounter with the king of the Jews. He's been born. We know it. We've seen a star and we're coming. But we need to make sure that we are not uh, taking the example of Herod the king and the religious leaders because you will you will not find them having a true encounter with jesus and you will also see an absence of joy in their lives so let's look at herod first he's he's a real king historically accurate the bible is historically accurate enough but if you look at other sources we know that this herod the king there were several herods because he he came from a herod he named several of his children herods but this particular herod was known as herod the great And Rome appointed him ruler over Judea, the home of the Jews. So you could say he's the king of the Jews, geographically speaking, in 40 B.C. And the reason he's called the great, there's a few reasons for that. It's not because he was a great person, okay? But he was brilliant. He was an architect that could do things that rival the human imagination, he created wonders of the world. So he, he made the first, uh, I think the first that we know of, man-made harbor in Caesarea Maritima. And he built a racetrack for the chariots and the horses to ride around right there by the ocean. He built himself a, a seaside palace right there. And, and it was amazing how the engineers would, would create this, uh, this basically concrete blocks that would sink to the bottom of, of the bay And they would link together so that there wouldn't be, you know, draining of the water. It would stay the same level. This guy was incredible. He built aqueducts and he built an incredibly beautiful and ornate and massive temple complex for the Jews in Jerusalem. So you have Solomon's temple, which was beautiful, and that was destroyed. Then you have the rebuilt temple with Zerubbabel, and that wasn't much to look at. That was more built out of wood, and it was just functional. But then Herod makes this place massive, and there's beautiful pillars and columns and porches and arches, and, and so the Jews were thankful for Herod because he gave them this wonder of the world, but he was an incredibly cruel and jealous man. He was a tyrant. He was obsessed and fearful at potential threats to his kingdom and threats to his buildings, the empire that he has built with his hands. He's been on the throne for about 40 years, and he doesn't want to give that up. History tells us he actually killed multiple family members, his own sons, his two oldest sons. He killed them because he didn't want them to take the throne away from him. So he killed them. He killed one of his wives in the same vein. I'll tell you a little bit more about it in a minute, but you can see why perhaps he was troubled when he heard there has been a birth of a king of the jews i'm the king of the jews who is this threat to the throne he's already on the defensive and now he's got a scheme to try to figure out to get more information from these magi he could only see a threat from this pronouncement there was no faith in him only fear there was no joy in his life when he finds out that the Magi trick him and they go another way, we'll talk a little bit about this next week in our Christmas Eve service. He says, I, I can't bear to think that there is a child out there that will one day rise up to take this throne. I'm going to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, two years old and under. All the male babies. Go. Kill them. An evil, evil, wicked, selfish, horrible man. And if that wasn't bad enough, we're told in history, on his deathbed in Jerusalem, he ordered his soldiers to go out and round up a bunch of the leading Jewish men, put them in prison. Why? Because when I die, I know nobody is going to cry for me. So when I die and you hear the word, you are to execute all of those men in prison because then their mothers and their wives and their families will cry for them. There will be crying in Jerusalem. It might not be for me, but I want to know that there are tears being shed at the time of my death. Can you imagine such a wicked, hateful person? This is the king. It's historically accurate. There will be tears in Jerusalem. But I almost, as as I talk about him, I almost I feel that sympathy. What a miserable person. You think Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol is miserable. Look at King Herod. Not one ounce of joy in his life. Anything that he has attained, obtained or built, he can only see threats to it. He can only see how death and the sword will get him what he wants in life. And I guarantee you, when he entered eternity and his eyes opened to the reality, what a terrible, miserable existence he will have for all of eternity. And many people view Jesus this way today. Jesus is a threat. He's not not a joy. He doesn't bring hope to my life. Now, the idea of a loving God who will just let all my mistakes go by. Now, that idea intrigues me. A lot of people are open and receptive to that. But then, when you tell them he's the king, he's the king of the Jews, and he becomes the king of kings and ascends the throne. Overall, he is the son of God. He has the authority to tell us what to do and he will have the authority to judge the righteous and the wicked at the end of the age. Well, now I'm that kind of kills the Christmas spirit. I thought you would just, you know, kind of let that all go and I could still live my life however I want. We can't. When you have a genuine encounter with the king of the Jews, something has to give. Is it my heart? Is it my loyalty? Do my plans change from what I was building with my life to what God has planned? The king is here. God's kingdom has come near in the presence of the king. It can't be denied. The question is, what are you going to do with that? Do you have idols in your heart right now? If you claim to be a believer and a follower of Christ, is there anything in your life, including your own self, that is actually on the throne of your heart. And, and Jesus and his word poses a threat to that. Here's some ways that we can figure that out. Pastor Dennis and I were talking through some of these at our, our pastor's meeting last week. Uh, perhaps it's lashing out at someone in anger. Like you you're you genuinely angry at them. Perhaps you use unkind words. Yeah, some ridiculous. How, how could you do that? Using some words that. I won't use because there's kids in this room and and but when we're angry, we feel justified in saying that and we put other people down because I think down deep inside, there's that fear. <laughs> we, we almost lost something or we didn't get what we could have. We've got to fight for this and and the justify the means. I will let my anger out on you if you do that again or kids generally it's it's fairly straightforward to obey your parents right hey can you can you go bring me the jug of milk from the fridge sure yeah i can do that what happens when your mom and dad say pick up your room pick up my room what i have to interrupt the fun thing that i was doing and go do this work thing and then you start lashing out with your tongue or you start arguing or trying to manipulate. I just wanna play for five more minutes or 10 more minutes. You're trying to get control. You're trying to keep yourself first in that situation. You're not interested in obeying your mom and dad. Adults and kids, we all struggle with it. But we don't wanna be like King Herod, right? We struggle with the same thing, though. That pride, those idols of the heart within. The Bible says we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. King Herod needed Jesus to be king, but he didn't want to accept him as king. Also, learn a lesson from these religious leaders. They didn't oppose Jesus, per se, at least not not initially at his coming. And when asked by Herod at the drop of a hat, tell me where the king is going to be born, what did they say? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. We know that one. That's an easy one. That's uh, in our in our uh, modern day translation with the numbering. That's Micah five two. They would just say the prophet Micah. But Micah says, "For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Clearly, the king is coming from Bethlehem. Okay. Well, that's great that you gave the magi directions, but aren't you a little bit curious? Because you yourselves are Jews. You yourselves supposedly revere the word of God, respect the word of God. Oh, when the prophets speak, we listen. We listen. Why aren't you going? They are completely indifferent to the coming of the king. And I can imagine why. I already told you what Herod has done for them to make uh, or basically to put the, the worship system for Judaism on the map. And people would come from far away to see this impressive temple and they'd be ooh and awe ah at it and the Jews would feel so good and pious as they go and they worship there supposedly worship, but they're not actually bowing the knee to God. I don't have time to go look for this king. I've got religious duties to perform. I've got stuff going on. I've got a comfortable existence in Jerusalem. We've got our religion set up. We've got this nice temple. We really don't need a king to come in. Because history tells us Herod the Great, for all of his flaws, there was peace in his reign. No one wanted to cause trouble for Herod, and Herod was giving them things, so they, they put up with them for, for a while. They didn't put up with his 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 sons as well in the future, but we're comfortable. Don't interrupt us. We've got other priorities. And the king just it doesn't fit with our priorities. So they did not encounter the living son of God, at least not in this stage of his life. And I have to wonder, do we sometimes do that as well? Especially at Christmas time, but I think any time out of the year, because there's a lot of good things in life. You have hobbies, things you enjoy doing activities you enjoy doing as, as a family or as an individual with your friends, taking vacations. That's that's a good thing to do, but you know, when you live in Sarasota, you don't have to vacation too much because what a lot of people plan for all year long, we have here. We've got the plays and fine arts, we've got the beaches and the boats. Uh, you want to you go out uh, hiking, you want to go up to Tampa, you want to go to a football game, uh, we got dinner with the other night, uh, or last night actually, dinner with a couple at, at Yard House. Got some good burgers. That place didn't even exist two years ago when we moved here. So if Sarasota doesn't currently have something that you want, or Bradenton doesn't have something that you want right now, give it a couple months. It'll be here, right? So we can fill our lives with activities and fun and sports. I didn't even mention sports, but man, there's like a million sports to choose from here and. You can drive around and you look at Christmas lights and it can be really easy to fill our life with good things they're not bad things but if Jesus isn't on the throne and if he isn't our central priority and the focal point of our worship we're still in the same boat as Herod Sure you might not oppose Jesus and you might not want to slaughter a bunch of innocent babies but you don't have time for Jesus either Sometimes I wonder, is it worse to be someone who's never heard the name of Jesus? You live your life, your whole life, and you hear the name of Jesus, or you never hear the name of Jesus? Or is it worse for someone who hears about Jesus and you still make no time to come to get to know him? A wasted invitation. That's what we see here with the religious leaders. Anything that keeps us from the main thing of knowing God and having a relationship with him and loving him and having his joy permeate your life. It's a misplaced life i've got misplaced priorities and i feel it every single time get this every single time i have my devotions my wife will tell you i, I have some uh some memory lapse uh sometimes when it comes to the, the finer details of our weekly schedule When are we doing this or did i communicate this to this person or did i remember that supply for sunday morning and those are the things that i struggle with and my mind just it dumps constantly i gotta i gotta keep putting that in or i gotta put it in my calendar but what's interesting is when I get up in the morning and I open my Bible and I want to—I to spend time with Jesus and hear from Jesus. All of a sudden, my mind gets flooded with all of those things that I forgot that I needed to do. Oh, I—I I meant, I meant to text so and so and ask him this, or oh, do we—you know—do we have things set up for Sunday? And oh, I forgot to send out the worship order, and oh, that email to the church—no one's going to know about the Christmas Eve service, and. And I have a decision to make in that moment. I'm in the presence of the king. The word is open. I can enjoy him and I get to know him. Or I can close out some of those tabs that I need to. And and I'll, I'll come back to this as soon as I do that. Isn't it amazing how our mind works that way? Because we have a decision to make. Will we go? Will we personally seek an encounter and learn from him? Here's where we get to the meat and the heart of the story these wise men they show us what a true encounter with christ looks like these wise men who came from the east they're not jewish and we're not told much about them other than this title and the the fact that they came from this general location in the east but most likely they came from babylon or persia we're told about these magi in the book of daniel these parthians they were astronomers astrologers They were dream interpreters. They were like priests and politicians wrapped up in one. We think perhaps even the law of the Babylonians or the Medes and Persians rather came from this kind of wise class of people. Here's how you live out life. And let's make a law according to that. They were shrouded in mystery, too. It's where we actually get the term magician from. It's a it's a. not the correct derivative of the term, but, but that's where it came from. Magicians, mystery, look at, look at the tricks and amazing things that they can do. And yet for our men who are in our Bible study, we'll know that Daniel was appointed by God over the wise men in Babylon, even though he himself was a prisoner. <laughs> he was a captive. But God promoted him up because God showed his wisdom through Daniel. In other words, God is wise even over the wisest man but here come these wise men, three or four or five, however many we know, and they have complete faith. They're not in Judea. They are not a part of, of, of Judaism, although they, they might be seeking a, a monotheistic God. They might be um, uh, familiar with the prophets and, and devoted to the scriptures of some sort. It seems like that is the case here. And they just assume when they roll up, the king is here. Where's the worship service? Hey, where do do we find the king of the Jews? They're asking people in the streets. What are you talking about? I don't know. And, And then word eventually, I think, makes its way up to the king and the king brings them in. What are you talking about? They just have faith. We've seen the star. And we know. We know. Hopefully you're here this morning for a similar reason. I want to worship. I want to worship Jesus. I want to worship the king. Except today, what you and I did is we set our alarms. We got our coffee going. If you're a coffee drinker, you maybe had some breakfast, got ready. Uh, you knew what the location is for worship. You you know what door to come in. You know what time we start for worship. Don't always quite get here on time, but, uh, but you know generally when worship is supposed to start. You know who you're meeting here. These magi did nothing of that. When they saw this star, they were about 900 miles away. It's 1,100 kilometers. For those of you who are with the rest of the world and not uh, not Americans who, who who talk in miles and gallons and things like that. They traveled this international highway, but it took them several months to get there. They had no destination in their GPS. They are following the shining star. And we're not, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time speculate about what this star was a lot of people do maybe it was a conversion of 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 stars or you know maybe it was the you know this comet. or i i I doubt all of that because this star comes and goes this star has a brilliance and glory that makes it different from all the other stars um i just I, i i think it's the glory of the lord that appears in the sky but regardless of what it was we don't know so i'm not going to speculate on that one but imagine being led by a star 900 miles. Good luck planning a vacation that way. <laughs> and you're gonna have to travel by night, won't you? You're not gonna be able to travel by day. So there's a lot of extra faith and dangers and toils, but these magi show us wisdom. It's faith that leads to the right actions. If I believe this, the King of the Jews is born. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna see him. And they see the star and they follow it and there's excitement and there's joy. He's not even their king if we're going literally by the king of the Jews. But they know they're invited because God invites all to come and see the Christ child. Maybe not at that exact moment, but with the word of God we have before us. And why did they come? I believe it's because there was Jewish influence from the exile. You know, when the enemies came and conquered Israel and carried the Jews off uh, to to Babylon and then to Medo-Persia, a lot of those Jews stayed because they had built lives for themselves there. You had a few Jews return back to to Israel 70 years later, but many of those Jews stayed. We know that Daniel did. And Daniel was a prophet, and Daniel was revealed the word of God, and he he kept the word of God and, and lived it out. So I believe that there is a Christian influence or Judeo-Christian influence, you could say, back in the Old Testament. They knew these prophecies like Micah 5.2. They also knew prophecies uh, like Numbers 24.17. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Isaiah forty two six and Isaiah 60 speak about that there will be a Messiah who's a light to the nations. But actually, when you think about it, these prophecies aren't very clear it's not like oh in the time of Herod the Great there will be a star that appears in the sky you must follow that star and when you get to Israel you should look for Bethlehem and here's the house that you should go to those prophecies are are spiritual promises but they're not very helpful if you are looking for a physical child to come they didn't have much to go on and yet do you see what kind of bold faith that they're walking with we're following that star we as Christians have the completed revelation of God's word we have a total canon right here and you know what we tend to do well that that thing is only mentioned in the Bible two or three times so and that was probably outdated maybe that was a cultural thing I'm not sure it really applies to today So much ink is being spilled today to minimize these promises of God or these commands of God. How many times does God have to say something before we believe it? Uh, Maybe if he says it ten times, then I'll. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you don't believe the first, you're not going to believe the second or the third. These magi show us. I might just have a glimpse of what to look for, but boy, I'm looking for it. Boy, I'm ready. God, show me, change me, I'm following you. Oh, that we would all treat the word of God that way. We have seen a star, and now we know what's greater than the star is the child that's been born. The virgin has conceived. She's bore a son. We at Living Hope Church, do we believe this word? Do we cling to it like a lifesaver out in the stormy seas? This is our hope. This is our anchor. This is the only way we know the path to eternal life. You know, Lacey told you about Good News Club. And I'm so thankful we're there because these kids need to know Jesus. But as she's counseling these girls, you know, she's counseling them. Here's the gospel. Here's the way to, to heaven. And one little girl says, I know of another way to heaven. No, you don't. Yeah, 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 I do. And Lacey has to show from the scriptures there is no other way to heaven apart from Jesus. So even in young children there's spiritual confusion about this. There's a minimizing of the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach and proclaim the explicit Christ. It's him or nothing. It's faith or nothing. He is the light in the darkness. And I just love how in God's providence those wise men end up exactly where they need to be. Faith started the journey for him. But God guided them exactly where they needed to be. Don't you feel that way sometimes in your Christian life? I don't know what this next year holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I do know who holds the future. And I know the one who controls the stars. And if he can keep them spinning and in line, he will do the same with my life. It's not blind faith. But it is Faith. God will keep his word that he will never disappoint or leave us that when we daily encounter him in his word he will not disappoint he will change us grow us fill us with his joy embolden us to proclaim his word this is a trustworthy guide for my life and these gentile seekers they come with complete faith and they leave with exceeding joy because they found him Found him. Do you see how they come and approach the king? Look at this joyful worship set before us. The word here used for worship is proskuneo, and this is a term that is reserved in literature for worshiping God alone. This is not just general respect for any king. I'll bow the knee. You know, what do they call it when ladies do it? Plie. Curtsy. Curtsy. Thank you. No, that's uh, I think that's ballet. Okay, so, so yes, a curtsy, right? No, they fell down on their knees, on their faces and their hands before a toddler. If someone did that to our son Micah, you would think that they were crazy, right? But they know this is the one. The star has parked over this house and I they just knew the spirit of God made it clear to them this is who we've been looking for he's been born he's been worth the journey they might have kissed his feet that was typical for when people would would worship and, and, and fall down um, this is this is God this is at least the Messiah promised that they didn't have full clarity that he is you know God in human flesh we're not entirely sure what they knew or understood but what they did know is they found him and it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy they weren't just a little pumped a little excited and how many adjectives do you need to put in front of the word joy to get the picture they're elated they, they if these are older men probably dancing and skipping yeah or are, are busy chatting like, like a couple of you know young elementary students around the lunch table. Oh, did you see this? And did you, oh, did you hear that? And they're just thrilled. It, it really happened. He's here. Like we knew we would see him, but now when we're here, what they they would move heaven and earth if they could to come and adore him. He did not disappoint them. I don't know. Did, do you think Jesus just sat there, you know, and looked at them, or do you think maybe he was he was playing with some toys? <laughs> Maybe he's sitting in his mother's lap and he's playing with some toys. You know, from what I know of, of two year old two years old and younger, they're pretty busy, right? Maybe he was pulling the hats off their heads, you know, as they're bowing down. But in that moment, it's a holy moment. there's no ordinary baby. And man, they had joy when they saw it. And do you see what they brought? They brought gold for a toddler. <laughs> gold, expensive gifts, a gift fit for a king, the king of the Jews. So gold for his royalty. They brought incense, which was an expensive and fragrant offering. Now, incense was used in the temple for worship. Incense also indicates that that priestly relationship. You know, uh, you know, the priests offer up that offering in order to, to please God and to represent the people to God and God to the people and we think that incense points to the fact that Jesus came to, to serve a, a priestly role in his divinity. God in human flesh. The sacrifice, the offering from man to God and from God to man. They also bring a spice that you would not normally bring to a child's birthday party. I mean, hypothetically speaking, if this was a birthday party, they brought a burial spice. It's what myrrh was used for. When Jesus is laid in the tomb, they wrapped him in cloths, drenched in 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe. So we believe that even in their limited understanding of this king of the Jews, they knew he was coming to offer something. And it would cost them greatly, even to the tomb, hinting at his sacrificial death and his humanity. But the greatest gift in that room is the fourth gift. It's the Christ child. They said, take our wildest treasures. You are worth it. You are the gift of heaven. The gift to end all gifts. You're the Savior King. So yes, gold, incense, myrrh, that's great. And I'm sure Joseph and Mary put that to good use when they were on the run in Egypt. Again, God provides. We'll talk about that more next week. But but God gives the best gift. His glory has shown. And they saw him with an open face, and they bowed the knee, and they received him. Do we treat Jesus like the gift that he is? How the wise men see him? Or is he just kind of this cute, cuddly baby in his swaddling cloth, lying in a manger, and, and But we're going to go on with our lives and our other priorities. But, you know, we'll pay some lip service to Jesus, especially at Christmas time. But in reality, the priorities of our life look drastically different from those who come and bow and lay themselves out and give all that we have to the king. So if someone were to, if I were to ask someone who is close to you and I say, what? What does that person value more than anything? And I leave that open-ended question. They don't know I'm a pastor. Maybe I'm in disguise, or someone else off the street. You have no idea who they are, they just ask one of your closest friends, hey, what, what's Linda's greatest treasure? Who does she prioritize? Jaylen, or, or Dennis, Chris, or Kevin. What, what do they value? Well, here's what they talk about the most. Here's where they spend the most money. Here's what they really like to devote their time to. Here's what they're even willing to rearrange their whole schedule. If something comes up in this category or in this need, everything else takes a back seat to this. Would the answer be Christ? Is there anything else that they would say? And if they would, We have to ask ourselves a serious question. Am I more like the religious leaders than I am the magi? Am I living like a fool? You know, it looks like my life is put together. Or am I living like a wise man or woman? What you love most, what you adore most, where you spend the most time, says everything about you work, kids, money, sports hobbies. Those aren't bad things. But look at the Magi. What is gold compared to this gift? This one who has come and he's come to save and he's come to give up his life for us. We're told that he is the glory of God, but come to bear our sins on the cross to save us from this evil age that those who repent of their sins and bow the knee and fall before him will be made right with God because the righteous one has made things right by bearing the cross. This is the good news. This is the good news of Christmas, but he's not your king if you don't bow the knee to him, either in your spiritual faith or in your practical day-to-day life. And one thing I'm thankful for about the local church Is that every week we have opportunities where we say how are we bowing the knee to Jesus this week is he one of the little rocks that kind of fills in the jar of our our calendar this week or is he the big rock and everything else finds its way in around him you're never gonna get everything done this week that you want to but we've got to start with Jesus and Sunday morning worship keeps us grounded in the priority of this posture of our heart and our body and our time and everything. We want to devote everything. Honestly, we should give Him much more than an hour a week. Maybe our services should be four hours long. You know, Pastor Dennis and I, we can talk about that. We'll talk about that. No, I'm just kidding, of course. But uh, we have our limits. We are imperfect people, and yet do we love to gather and feed on His Word and remember His faithfulness to us. And like the wise men, are we willing to cross any boundaries, whatever it takes to serve the king? They crossed political boundaries. They crossed ethnic boundaries. I'm sure they had jobs. I'm sure they had things going on, but they crossed those lines to see an encounter with Jesus and they were filled with his joy. So where can you step across a line of comfort To give time to Jesus. How's your prayer life? Is it scattered, unfocused, haphazard? Does it just kind of happen around the the lunch table? Or do we actually set aside time to, to hear from our King and to talk with our King? What about serving? Where can you use your gifts and abilities that the King has given you to advance his kingdom and be an ambassador for him in this world but are we are we too busy to enjoy that hey christmas caroline is an opportunity good news club is an opportunity we'll provide you opportunities and you might not be able to do anything with any of those but then are you seeking out a new and different opportunity how are you serving the king can we do anything less after all he's done for us